into part of that teaching, this is an incredibly full theological piece that we're looking at now. And um, I find it fascinating because I've, I've done a lot of reading different commentaries and, and such uh, that people have written about the book of Romans and even even one um, one commentator saying it's not really a theological piece and it's like it really is um, this is this is pretty full and um, and in looking at it and uh, as I was thinking about particularly the, the passage that we're going to to look at this morning it, it will probably challenge some of your beliefs um, and I would just say just continue to work these things out and and continue to study God's word and continue to pray and ask God to give you understanding in these things because in this particular passage you have this it's like a confluence of, of well, it's Romans 4 Galatians chapter 3 Galatians chapter 2 Genesis 12 Genesis 15 Genesis 17 Genesis 22 is all kind of wrapped up in here. Um, and and uh, I, could, I could probably spend a few hours on this. Uh, now, don't worry, I won't. I believe I'm trying to start on time, and I believe I'm ending on time. So um, if, uh, if I get too long, well, we, we used to have somebody designated. If I got too long, they just got up and walked out. No, I'm kidding, but anyway. Uh, but I, I do watch the clock, and I, and I, and I realize that that sometimes even in looking in these passages, I'd rather give you a little less and have it really stick with you. And, and sometimes the Holy Spirit is, is such that, that he will expose us to passages of the Bible and, and then it starts to whet our appetite. And then it causes us to wonder, okay, what, what is really going on here? Um, so I want to back up to uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 7. Well, actually, to do that, I really needed to back up to verse 5. Actually, I should start at the first verse, but for sake of time, I will start in verse 5. How's that? Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But it says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for him uh, for righteousness. That is, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Now, of course, we've already read that that. Abraham believed and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. This word accounted could also be translated counted, could also be translated imputed, particularly if you have a new, uh, older uh, King James Version. I think it does use the word imputed. This word uh, in the Greek is found 11 times in this particular chapter. So it's this idea of something being credited into your account is incredibly important with what Paul is, is attempting to say here. And, and I'll, I will let the cat out of the bag right away because I want it to, to inform your thinking as you, as you uh, look at this. Um, God deposits into your spiritual bank account his righteousness. So it is never our righteousness. It never will be our righteousness. Uh, Paul was very clear in the previous chapter. I'm going to have a hard time getting through this. I can tell already. But Paul was very clear in the previous chapter that there is none righteous, no, not one, including you or me or us. Um, and, and yet 
God demonstrated his love, I'm getting ahead of myself in the book of Romans, but God demonstrated his love toward us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is incredibly good news. That is incredibly good news because we cannot, by the works of the law, earn our way into heaven. We receive the gift of eternal life, the entrance into God's kingdom by faith. Actually, we are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 tells us. And, and yet, faith is our part. We have to believe. Now, I don't even want to get into the argument about whether faith is a give, gift. Yes, I think it is a gift, but I think there, there, there has to be something within us that says, I want to give my life to Jesus. I think there has to be something in us that, that is willing to submit ourselves to him. And I, I believe that, that the reality is that if God had not pursued me, I would never have gotten saved. If God had not pursued you, you would never have gotten saved. Now, sometimes that's a troubling uh, uh, concept for people to grab a hold of. But what I am reminded of is that tells me just how much the Lord loves each one of us. And, and so um, his faith is referring to Abraham here, is accounted for righteousness. Verse 6, just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes, there's that word again, righteousness apart from works, deposits into your account righteousness apart from your works. It says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessedness come upon the circumcised, that would be the Jews only, or upon the uncircumcised, which would be the Greeks also? For we say that faith was accounted, again, there's that word again, faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while he was circumcised, but while he was uncircumcised. In other words, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. If you read the story in the book of Genesis, uh, that took place 14 years earlier than the time of his circumcision, which is recorded in Genesis 17. And so what Paul is attempting to do here is he, he's, he really is addressing Judaism is, is this idea that, that if we followed the law, and, and, and of course circumcision would be the entrance into that covenant community, if we followed the law, then somehow we might be determined as righteousness in the sight of the Lord. And he, he's blasted that argument completely apart in the book of Romans. And, and uh, even talking about if you could earn your righteousness by works, then you would have something to boast by. This is a little bit earlier in the chapter. Uh, something to boast by, but not before God. Which I'm really, I'm really glad that he threw that in here. And I'm really glad that the Lord saves us, not because of us, but because of his work on the cross. Because that way, none of us have anything to boast about. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands. But who enjoys watching someone, listening to someone boast? 
It's my pastime, of course. If I'm standing in front of a mirror, maybe. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and we'd, we'd have this horrible, critical spirit between us of comparing ourselves to, to each other. And, and the thing is, the, 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 the cross, the foot of the cross is level ground, and we are all equal. We are all equal in the sight of God. And he loves us all completely. He loves us all fully. He cannot love us any more than he loves us. But often it is because of things in our own life, we don't fully receive that love. And so we misinterpret what's going on and we say, well, maybe God doesn't really love us that much. When in reality, he, he loved us enough that he chose us before the foundation of the world, Ephesians tells us. And so we are never saved by any kind of works and it tells us in verse 11 and he being abraham received the sign of circumcision it is a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised a seal of righteousness of the faith that he received while he was still yet uncircumcised in other words the faith that he had the faith that he placed in god while he was yet uncircumcised so this this idea of circumcision is also a sign, but it is also a seal or a symbol. Um, real quick, because this isn't even the main, I'm just, I'm just getting warmed up here, but real quick, this idea of a sign is, is, is um, I guess the best way to describe it is when I leave Bend, and actually leave Tumalo, right? And you're heading this way. And you see this little, I'm glad that Oregon has small signs, by the way. Uh, it took me a while to get used to it, but I'm glad they have small signs so you can actually see the landscape. There's a little sign on the road, and it says, Sisters, 18 miles. Okay? It is telling me that if I travel for another 18 miles, I will end up in the city of Sisters. The sign is not the city. I don't pull over and go up and touch the sign and say, I'm finally here, right? I drive by it at, of course, 55 miles an hour. And I say to myself, I got 18 miles to go. It is a sign. It is a marker. It is a, even a characteristic. Uh, is used in many different aspects in, in the scripture because Paul even talked about those whom he had shared the gospel with, that they are a sign of his apostleship in, in 1 Corinthians because they are a characteristic. In other words, the fruit of his labor was seen in the lifestyle and the conversion of the people that he had, he had shared the gospel with. Um, it is a sign, but it is also a seal. It is a seal, which really means, I think in this context, and this word seal in the Greek is a very broad word. But often when you have Greek words that have very broad definitions, you have to, to narrow it down to the context of the text to be able to understand what that word is really implying. And I believe here what this is really implying with the seal that he is talking about is that it is a symbol. You have this seal, like, uh, for instance, in the, in the book of Revelation, you have, have this scroll, and it, it, uh, it has 
seven seals upon the scroll. And it, it's, it has this imprinting, if you will, from someone in authority. And so I translate circumcision. Now, I do this loosely, okay? This is, I'm not getting theologically here. I do this loosely, but I translate circumcision today with baptism. Now, incidentally, if some of you are wondering, I believe that baptism follows confession of faith. I don't believe it precedes it. There are other churches that believe that you can baptize infants. I'm not comfortable with that because people feel like they get their children dunked, right, or sprinkled normally. And then they feel like they're good to go and they bring them back to church again. And, and the, the New Testament model is that, that people confess Jesus Christ as Lord and then they were immersed um, and, but I understand the theology of why some churches baptize infants, but it's, it's not my preference, okay? But baptism does not save you. You understand that, right? Baptism is a seal. It is a sign. It is a characteristic. It is, it is this representation outwardly with the body, where your body goes down underwater and it is buried with him in baptism and that is what? It is raised to walk in newness of life, all right? So I, I kind of loosely translate for the New Testament. Of course, we, we don't have a requirement of circumcision in the New Testament church, but, but we, we, call, we are called to be people who not only go forth and share the gospel, but as in the book of Acts, it says, repent and then what? And be baptized. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Now, actually, if you tear that apart grammatically in the Greek, the power in that sentence is repenting, and you repent for the remission of sins. Along with that, you show the sign that you have repented by being baptized. Okay? Um, that's my personal take on this. Um, that was actually more than what I was planning on going into. But anyway... Um, let's continue. He received, I'm going to go back up to verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised. That Now, this is important. I have this underlined in my Bible. All right? Uh, do what you want with yours. It says that he might be the father of all those who believe. Abraham is the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised. Or you could loosely submit, rather than the word uncircumcised, though they are Gentiles. All right? Because that's, that's the context that Paul is actually using here. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness may be imputed, deposited into their account, also, and the father of circumcision, that is the father of the Jewish nation of Israel, as Abraham, to those who not only are of the circumcision, in other words, to those who are Jews, but who also, here's the caveat, walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised, or as I said on Wednesday night, while still a Gentile, which kind of raised some of the hair on the back of some of your necks, but that's okay. Because I think, I think that's legitimate. 
Uh, and I've had friends that they go to Israel and they see the Wailing Wall and they get, they get moved and, and they should. Matter of fact, I, when I've had friends that go and I've asked you know, how they roll up. I don't know if you've ever been there or heard about much of the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. Is, is they will take little prayers that they write and they will roll them up and shove them in the cracks of, of the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. And so I had a friend that went, I said, put a prayer in for our church. And, and just put that in there. To me, I, 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 I consider that place this, like this holy, holy place still. Uh, even though, yes, I'm a New Testament Christian. But I realize we do come from the Jewish roots. And, and so um, he said he was there. And I've talked to other people who were there. And they, they see the fervency of, of particularly the Orthodox, Orthodox Jews as they're praying. That, and, and I remember one guy came back. And, and he said, you know, I think... Well, maybe they come to Christ in a different way. No. And, and I referred him back to the book of Acts where it says, there is no name written in heaven given among men whereby men must be saved other than the name of Jesus. And I said, you need to read Romans 4. That yes, Abraham is the father of those who were Jews, but also uh, those who walk in the steps of faith which our father Abraham had. Notice it just doesn't just say making a profession of faith. Notice it just doesn't say, well, you said the, you, you, someone read to you the four spiritual laws and you said, I've, have, have you ever heard this term, that prayer? All right, the, the prayer to ask Christ into your life. I've had people refer to it as that prayer, which I find, it, that's usually a red flag, by the way. Um, because I, well, I prayed that prayer and nothing happened. Okay, and, you know, maybe you ought to think about stop using methamphetamine. But anyway, uh, these, it was fun when I worked construction. But anyway, um, they walk in the steps of faith. And by the way, not just the Jew, but also the Gentile. So, we're called to walk in the steps of faith for the promise. Verse 13, okay, now we're, now we're starting, all right? All that was introductory. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed. Take note of that, seed, singular. It's not capitalized. Possibly could be. I'll get to that in a second. Through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. In other words, the promise was given to Abraham and to his heirs uh, of the world that they would inherit the earth and also to the seed. For those who are of the law are, excuse me, for those who are of the law are heirs. I, I mean, didn't, I'm sorry. For if, I knew there was an issue there. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. In other words, if the people who claim they are following the law, and what, is, what did I say earlier? What did Romans 3 say? There is none righteous, no, not one. If the people who claim that they are following the law are still not the heirs of the promise. Because it is the people of faith 
who are the heirs of the promise. Well, what promise? This is where we're going to have to run really fast and furious here because I, I only have a few minutes to really, to really cram this in. Genesis 12, for example. Genesis 12, verse 3 says that in you, Abraham, the Lord declares, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That same promise is repeated in Genesis 17, verses 4 and 5, um, and verse 16 of chapter 17 of Genesis. It is the same promise that is repeated to Isaac in, uh, excuse me, it's the same promise that is repeated to Abraham when he was called to sacrifice Isaac as an offering before the Lord. Which is an incredibly, incredibly uh, important story because here Isaac is, is born. He becomes the child of the promise. The promise that Abraham's heirs would inherit the earth. And then what does God do? He says, by the way, take that child of promise and sacrifice him to me. You know what's amazing about that story? Among other things? A couple, many things, actually, but the, it's not, at least it's not recorded, so I'm assuming it didn't happen. Abraham never tries to play, let's make a deal with God. God says, do it, do it. And so then what does he do? He does it. And of course, the Lord stops him. Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed if possible, if necessary, Isaac would have been raised from the dead because Abraham knew that Isaac was the child of promise, but he knew to place his trust in God even when it made absolutely no sense. It made absolutely no sense. I'm still trying to figure it out other than the fact that that is an incredible lesson for me that in spite of what things look like from time to time, we're called to trust in the Lord. And we're, we're called to, to follow that which he's called us to do, even if it doesn't make sense. Matter of fact, the more I think about that story, the more I think I want to place my trust in the things that God, I believe, God calls me to that doesn't make sense. Of course, that could be, well, let's not go down that road today, okay? But he makes this promise again to Abraham in, in Genesis 22. In you, your seed, all the nations will be blessed. He makes it to Isaac in Genesis 28, 14. And, and then he refers to this, the seed again in Genesis 49. But in Genesis 22, verse 18, I have the verse in front of me. I'm going to read it to you. He's, God says to Abraham... After God has told Abraham not to sacrifice Isaac, after he stops him. If you remember the story, where is Isaac? He's on the altar. Isaac is probably anywhere from late teens to maybe early 30s. Now, how old is Abraham at this point? He's over 100. Who's stronger? Isaac is. He could have easily overpowered his father. 
And sometimes I think when we look at that passage, we neglect the faith of Isaac that was willing to get up on the pile of wood and allow his father to put him to death. It is an incredible picture of whom? God the Son, who was willing to get on a pile of wood and be put to death for our sins. God stops Abraham. And then he says to Abraham, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Paul talks about this particular passage in the book of Galatians. And I want to take a, uh, take a little bit of time to look at the book of Galatians this morning. Because Paul kind of gives us a commentary on what happened in Genesis 22. When God told Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because when we read that, we would naturally assume his offspring. But this is what Paul has to say about it. Verse 16 of of Galatians chapter 3. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Okay, we just read about that in Romans, did we not? Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So when God declared to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, he's referring to none other than Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is the seed, singular, of Abraham. And I believe that, now, now in, going back to Romans 4, this is why I use two Bibles when I teach, but, but going back into Romans 4, when, when Paul tells us that, in verse 16, Romans 4:16, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. I think to translate that in, in uh, and I think it's often helpful to recognize that, that, that this is a prophecy that, that, that was given back in Genesis that Paul is talking about now. And at times, prophecies in the Old Testaments have what is called a near fulfillment. And then what is later called a far fulfillment. In other words, the prophecy is uttered, you see it fulfilled, but then it's fulfilled yet again a second time. Or sometimes there can be what's called, and an, an a Messianic Jewish rabbi taught me this, this layering uh, between what the word of God is declaring. It's, it's essentially saying more than one thing. In Romans 4, I think he's talking about Isaac, but probably even Jacob. But he's also doing a rabbinical hint. Remember, Paul was a rabbi. He's doing a rabbinical hint, and he's hinting of the capital S-E-E-D, the seed, which he's referring to Jesus Christ. And so... 
The promise to be heir of the world is given to Abraham and it's given to the Messiah. And if it's given to the Messiah, who also is it given to? It's given to those of us who trust in him by faith. You see, we have always been saved by grace through faith. That has been God's plan of how he reconciles people to himself from the very beginning of history. Adam and Eve sin, what does God do? He covers them. He covers them with an animal skin, but he, that is in this incredible act of grace. And then God prophesies. Remember it? Genesis 3. He said that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. That prophecy, I think it's Genesis 3.15, uh, 3.15, if I'm not mistaken. That prophecy is considered by many biblical scholars, they, they have a Latin term for it. Let's see if I can remember it. It's the proto-evangelicum. It's the first announcement of the good news. That's probably a better way to describe it. Because the seed of the woman, and who is the seed of the woman? Jesus. Who is the woman? Mary. Why the virgin birth is so important. The seed of the woman crushes the head of the seed of the serpent. And in doing so, he becomes the heir to the world. Uh, uh, Psalm 20, uh, chapter 2. It's, it's running around in my head, but I'm going to read it to you so I don't fumble over it. Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. This is an incredible psalm because it's a conversation uh, between God the Father and God the Son in this psalm. And in chapter 2, verse 8, uh, God the Father says to God the Son, Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And one day, God, one day the, the Son will ask and he will receive. We see this demonstrated for us or outlined for us or actually it's more of an illustration for us uh, and I'm not going to take the time to turn there this morning, but you could look in the book of Daniel chapter 7 where you have, you have this, this one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds. And he's presented before the Ancient of Days, which is God the Father. Of course, one like the Son of Man is whom? It's Jesus. And so, what we read here is... In verse 13 of Romans 4. I haven't departed it yet. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And of course, Galatians chapter 3 even talks about and asks the question then, what is the purpose of the law? 
Verse 19, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed, singular, should come to whom the promise was made. See, I'm on really, I really feel like I'm on really uh, sound uh, biblical footing this morning because Paul declares these things. The seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. When was the promise made to the seed? I already referred to it way back in Genesis chapter 3. See how this is actually a very, very full passage and all these passages just kind of come running together as Paul addresses them. But I... Just to sum up with the book of Galatians, in verse 26, it says, For you are all sons. You could actually translate that you are all sons and daughters. Okay, ladies, I don't want to leave you out. Of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. Christ Jesus. Well, you got to let that one settle. You really need to let that one settle. And if you are Christ, here it is. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. In other words, back to Romans 4, 13 again. The promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So Paul tells us in Galatians that the seed that he is talking about in Romans 4 not only refers to Abraham's offspring, his natural offspring, but also refers to his offspring by those who believe in God and trust in the Lord and have received Jesus Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See how he ties this right back into Romans 4? So this is where I'm going to step on some of your toes. When I read Genesis 12, I realize that that is a promise given to Abraham and to the people of faith. I don't even want to get into this bit with Nashua Israel yet. When we get into Romans 9, 10, 11, we'll take that apart, okay? But the promise that God gave Abraham was to him and to his seed, that is, to the Messiah. And when we trust in the Messiah, then the promises that were given to Abraham that were also given to the seed are now also by faith given to us. That makes us the chosen people, folks. Is there a place for Israel? Yes. I'll get to it later, okay? But I want to teach this text and not go, I've already ran all over the Bible enough as it is this morning. Because verse 15, excuse me, 14, for if there are, for if those who are of the law are heirs, Faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. 
So in other words, if we have a promise that God gave to Abraham and it's also given to us, and if it's not through faith, then we better start getting busy. We've got a whole lot of animals that we need to sacrifice because we've got a whole lot of sin that we need to have atonement for. Rather than recognizing that Jesus Christ went into a holy of holy not made with hands and he offered up his own blood once and for all for the sins of the world. Because the law brings about wrath for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Again, I've already referred to it in Galatians chapter 3 where it said that the law was given until the seed came. The verse I didn't read to you is that the law was also given so that it would be our schoolmaster or our tutor to show us of our need for Christ. That is the purpose of the law. Romans tells us that the law is holy, righteous, and good. We'll get into that as well. The law is holy, righteous, and good. The only problem is that we are unholy, we are unrighteous, and we are not good. Okay, so that makes it an issue. But because Jesus Christ came and he was holy, righteous, and good, and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our unholiness, our unrighteousness, and our not goodness, or being bad, then as we, when we receive him by faith, we obtain the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we are holy, we are righteous, and we are good. Not because of us, but because of him. It is because of what he has done. Because the law brings wrath. What that means is that a law brings attention. It brings attention to the fact that we have transgressed. And if you break the law, what happens? End up in court, right? And you hopefully do not incur the wrath of the judge, especially for things like speeding tickets. Anyway, but it shows us our need for Christ. Because if there is no law, then there is no transgression. In other words, we can't be held accountable for that which we don't know. But we've been given the word of God. Most of us have been exposed to, if not all of us, been exposed to the word of God. And so we are at a place that now we do know. And, and the, 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 the good news, the, the wonderful news, is that we can obtain the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, who demonstrated his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, that he dies for us. Now, I want to end with that because... I just told you all that you're all, we, are, we are unholy, we are unrighteous, and we're not good. And that's true. But, bless you, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, we are incredibly loved by God. Bless you again. We are incredibly loved by God. And, and 
And I, I, sometimes I think I've got to tell you guys that all the time because I'm not sure you believe it. Maybe there's times that I'm not so sure I believe it about myself. But we are incredibly loved by God where God would come in the flesh. If you're deity, why in the world would you want to become human? That doesn't make sense. But God comes in the flesh and dies for our sins. And then he calls us through the power of his Holy Spirit to trust in him, to receive him as Lord and Savior, and then to walk with him by faith because we are called to walk by faith, not by sight. And because we have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are Christ. And then because of that, then we are Abraham's seed. And we are then heirs according to the promise. We have an incredible future before us. Heirs according to the promise. When we enter into that promised land. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for each of us. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, this is such an important passage to really grab a hold of and even wrestle with and, 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 and even challenge. Lord, I feel like this morning we just skimmed the surface of these great theological truths. But Lord, they all point back to the fact that you love us. And as we read your word, we're reminded that Jesus loves us. This we know for the Bible tells us so. And we thank you, Lord, for your great grace. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that you continue to pursue us even in those times that we, we just feel so flat spiritually. So, Lord, give us understanding, but even more than doctrinal understanding, Lord, help us to really grab a hold of the fact that we are so incredibly loved by you. Continue to do that work in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.